Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development at QIC, and each Monday morning we join the Liquid Markets Group market meeting to get the latest update across all traded markets. Good morning. It is the 10th of August and we start the week with more of the same. The markets continue to see optimism whilst the pandemic remains a big concern with 9,085 active cases in Australia and globally we're approaching now, can you believe it, 20 million confirmed cases. Despite the events in Victoria, the ASX 200 closed the week up. Gold broke through the 2000 barrier before falling 1.4% over the weekend. And it was also interesting to see iron ore hit $120 per tonne, whilst the NASDAQ continues over 11,000 for the first time during the week, although I did have a mild hiccup in the final session. Stu, can I please ask you to join the conversation in what's been another big week of macro events with continued tension between the US and China, but signs of some fiscal relief close to the approval in the US. And on the currency front, there were some reports that the pound had had an interesting week on the back of that Bank of England pause. Stu, what's your take, please? Thanks, Craig. Yeah, as you mentioned, it was another positive week for risk assets. And through much of last week, it was a real sense of deja vu as prevailing trends remained in play. Industrial commodities, uh, credit rates, break-evens, and also in exchange rates. And while we've seen an ongoing inflection point in the US pandemic second wave, uh, better than expected corporate earnings reports and positive economic data, the one common driver that links price movements across all asset classes is the incredibly accommodative fiscal and monetary policy stance uh, from policymakers with a special emphasis on the US Federal Reserve. Importantly for investors, we've still had no indication from the Fed that they're ready to ease back on the accelerator as stocks work to fill the gaps back towards all-time highs and completely erase the losses from the COVID crisis. The gap that the Fed is really concerned about is domestic employment. And on that, it's going to take years before the US will return to the full employment setting that existed prior to March. Uh, Investors remain very confident that with such a forceful and persistent policy response, asset prices can remain decoupled from the challenges that impact on the recovery, including those deteriorating US relations with China, uh, the political impasse on US fiscal, fiscal measures that has seen Trump unilaterally announce executive orders, or the rocky recovery profile through the impact of the second wave lockdowns and mobility restrictions. Uh, On currencies, uh, the script was largely going to plan for dollar bears through much of the week, with the euro setting a new two-year high above 119, and the Aussie dollar hitting 18-month highs before that reversal on Friday that was actually led by moves in dollar China. Uh, following an escalation of tensions with China, concentrated this time in restrictions by Trump on dominant Chinese tech firms. It was also a reminder to investors that seasonally, this time of year has tended to be a positive environment for the dollar, with losses in August only three times in the last 12 years. And also another reminder that positioning does actually matter at some point as investment-related longs in the euro futures hit an all-time high. In the end, most developed currencies, developed market currencies finished largely flat against the dollar over the course of last week, uh, with a lot more variation in emerging market currencies. 
You mentioned the pound there, Craig. And while it did have a little bit of a boost from the Bank of England after they called out a, uh, a better recovery that then they were anticipating and seemed to distance themselves from additional policy measures at this stage, uh, for the rest of the week, it really traded in line with those broader dollar movements and gave up those gains uh, through late Thursday and Friday. Uh, on emerging markets, investors are putting a lot more scrutiny on those EM currencies, with Turkey in particular getting plenty of attention as the currency hit fresh all-time lows amid negative real interest rates and in spite of defence from authorities as uh, foreign currency reserves have halved since late 2017. Thanks, Stu. Just one quick follow-up question. Uh, we've got the, also in the US uh, the election on the horizon. Does the fiscal and monetary stimulus measures you mentioned before sort of trump, pardon the pun, those uh, election um, events that are coming at us? It does at this stage, and you do get a fair bit of noise from the uh, from the election. And, um, you know, one thing that we've seen recently is a little bit more convergence in the odds of um, between Trump and Biden. Biden's been a clear favourite for some time now, but, but Trump is actually starting to make up a little bit of ground. And that's ha happening in line with some of the improvement that we're seeing in that uh, in the pandemic across the US and the drop in the number of new infections. So that's going to be watched fairly closely. But, you know, my overall sense would be that the level of policy stimulus can help uh, in the longer run uh, really dominate that noise that you're going to get from the election uh, right up until the election date. Thank you, Stu. Robert, uh, we might ask you to join the conversation, please. We heard that the ASX 200 had a relatively good week last week, and I'm assuming this is all because of the optimism around the fiscal and monetary stimulus being announced later in the week. Globally, the NASDAQ continues to catch all the attention with those all-time highs, but was there anything in the Friday close that we should look into? And I suppose the following question would be, did uh, volatility remain subdued? Yes, Craig. I guess the first four days, we saw more of the same with tech outperforming pretty much everything uh, in the rest of the world. Uh, the Chinese and US tensions on Friday put a bit of a dampener on that and really brought the NASDAQ back in line with the rest of the markets. So pretty much global equity markets finished up somewhere between 25 and 3%. Um, so unsurprisingly, Vol probably sold off. Um, it finished the week at about 222 volatility points. I guess probably what's particularly surprising is that Realized Vol over the last 10 days has been actually under 10%, uh, being 9.6, which is obviously great news for those that are harvesting the volatility risk premium. In fact, 10-day Realized Volatility hasn't been above 20% since the first week of July. In metals markets, uh, the metal melt-up continues with silver up almost 15% on the week and gold being up just 2.5%. Silver's actually up 48% since the start of July, which is just amazing. The exception to the metal uh, story is probably copper, which has sort of been trading sideways for a while and actually finished the week down 2.3% uh, on new supply coming back online. Thanks, Robert. Andrew, we might switch now to uh, policy fixed income and inflation. And Robert just mentioned there uh, the result of copper, uh, because this week we've also seen the global PMI index break through the 50, suggesting global manufacturers actually expanding. Can you give us an update, please, with regards to economic policy data and fixed income? 
Yeah, thanks, Craig. So global economic data continues to show signs of improvement. So the City Economic Surprise Index, which we look at, has continued to make new uh, new highs of late. We saw it in the data on Friday night, the US employment data. So the US economy added close to 1.8 million jobs, which was better than ex- better than expectations. The unemployment rate fell to 10.2%, which was better than consensus at 10.6% also. We saw improvement data last week in Europe also with the industrial production data continuing to be robust across Germany, France, Italy, and Spain, and also came on the back of better than retail sales data in Europe last week also, which continued to rise 5.7% month on month. So this week we get a raft of Chinese industrial production data. A US CPI will be the highlight in the Northern Hemisphere and down under we get the employment um, data this week also. So we'll continue to see if we get that ongoing improvement in the domestic data. What does that mean for nominal interest rate markets? Well, nominal interest rate markets continue to trade with fairly lacklustre manner. Um, and when we look at like volatility in those markets, the move index is a measure of treasury market volatility. What we've seen in that index is it's been approaching a decade low over the last week or so, having hit a decade high in March when the pandemic was at its peak. So really that's been reflected in the price action in these markets with US 10-year yields ending the week around four basis points higher, Aussie 10-year yields ending the week at modestly higher also. But this summer illiquidity as well has been exacerbating uh, these moves in the Northern Hemisphere and pretty lacklustre in, in the nominal bond market space. But we've really seen it, and as Rob alluded to earlier, we've seen it in the, the metals market also, but we've also seen it in the inflation space. So Inflation has been really outperforming other markets at the moment. So Europe and US 10-year break-even inflation expectations were up around eight basis points for the week last week. We've also been seeing it in the real yield space in the US as well. So US 10-year real yields are now down at minus 1.08%, the lowest level in history. And really, these themes which have been fueling the, the precious metal space have also been prevalent in the inflation space as well. And it's really been that about that transition from more of a monetary policy framework to more of a fiscal dominance. Um, also seeing the Fed making, you know, the rhetoric around the Fed in terms of letting the inflation genie out of the bottle there and this move towards average inflation targeting could really continue to see inflation outperform over the medium term and does all go well for um, the metals markets also. Excellent. Thank you, Andrew, for that update. And uh, we're watching that inflation um, uh, situation closely. Richard, we might switch to global macro, please. Uh, credit spreads continue to perform and are back to now uh, historical average levels, but do they still have room to tighten. Can we ask you, please, to give us an update on that Fed buying and fund flows? Yeah, perfect, Craig. Thank you. Yeah, as you say, credit continues to perform very well. But um, given the extent of the rally, I guess the truest thing to say now is that the best of the returns are behind us. Um, But that being said, as you mentioned, spreads still don't look expensive. So we are back to historic average spread levels. And our view has been for a little while now that we're likely to actually see pre-COVID tights in spreads over the next 12 months. And in the US, for example, this could see a 20 to 30 basis point tightening from here. So from around 125 basis points to 95 basis points. And this view is really um, predicated on our belief that um, the monetary and fiscal support from governments and central banks will continue. I think additionally, we've we've seen corporate um, behaviour really change since COVID-19 first 
uh, broke out. Um, and, you know, this has seen companies favouring debt holders versus equity. You know, CEOs are preferring high liquidity and robust balance sheets over any shareholder upside. Um, and this behaviour was really highlighted in the recent reporting season and, and should continue to support, support spreads. And then a thing that we've talked about a lot and, you know, the strong technicals in the market also favour tighter spreads with falling supply after, you know, the record first six months of the year, we're seeing dealer balance sheets that are sparse and we continue to see strong inflows into IG markets. Just on those strong inflows, we saw another 10 bills come into the US IG market last week. Um, and market conditions have continued to be strong. And as such, the Fed actually only bought 24 mil per day on average last week. And this behaviour fits with their stated modus operandi to only materially intervene when the market is in stress. And then finally, just switching gears a little bit and, and coming to something that's going on in the local market. And, and last week on, on the morning meeting, I've talked a couple of times about the subject market in Australia and just the relentless demand for yield by local real money and Asian private banks. And that, and that continues. And I guess that mirrors, you know, the, the reach for yield demand you're seeing offshore. But with little inventory available, spreads have gapped tighter by about 40 basis points over the last three weeks. And so that's taking the on-the-run 2024 call um, security to around 168 basis points. But despite this strong outperformance, you know, major bank tier two or sub still um, screens pretty cheap with the sub senior ratio around four times. And, you know, that versus the average we've seen over the last few years of two to two and a half times. Um, and, and going back to that theme of pre-COVID tights, you know, the pre-COVID tight for this market was around 150 basis points for that, that on the run bond. And in the absence of any new issuance, I think that's where we're headed. Um, you know, the other thing I'd highlight is major bank sub debt has been a key overweight um, and it's been a key call of the credit team. So it's been really great to see this rally play out um, for all our portfolios. Richard, can I just take you back to your original comment? Uh, is the takeaway for global credit at the moment now that the, I suppose that passive approach is perhaps slightly riskier and it takes a more of an active approach in the current market as we look forward? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's that's perfect, Craig. You know, what we do see right now is obviously average credit spread levels. Uh, um, we're back at historic average levels, but the dispersion's huge. You know, you know, as we've talked about a number of times, there's a number of sort of winners and losers. Some industries have obviously done better through COVID than others. Um, and so I think um, deep bottom up understanding and work is, is critical going forward um, as we sort of come out of COVID. Thanks, Richard. Um, Patrick, we might switch gears now to the bottom up into the micro space. Um, and when we started the US reporting season, we were all expecting some pretty dire results. Um, can you give us an update, please, as we start to come to the end of the results of this season? Yeah, that's right, Craig. And, and earnings season in the US is coming to an end and it really has been one unlike any other. Uh, that, of course, is mainly because the period being reported is April to June which saw the full impact of the lockdowns and production shutdowns resulting from the pandemic. Uh, also, we had most companies had withdrawn guidance at the start of the pandemic, leaving analysts with a lot of guesswork to do and just adding another layer of uncertainty. Um, so as you sort of mentioned, the 
89% of the companies have now reported their results over in the US, and it's fair to say that they have been much better than expected. So 83% of companies have beaten their earnings per share expectations, which is an extraordinarily high number of percentage to be beating. Um, further, the companies, uh, the reporting earnings are substantially beating the estimates. So in aggregate, the companies are reporting earnings 22% above the estimates in the market. Uh, in terms of sales revenues, 64% of companies are beating estimates and then the aggregate beat is 1.6%, um, which is also above average. Um, so while uh, you know these results are beating expectations, the results themselves are naturally very weak uh, with the blended earnings decline for the second quarter, negative 33%. And that weakness has been led by sectors most impacted by the pandemic. So energy, industrials and consumer discretionary sectors. Uh, only three sectors have really reported year-on-year -year growth in earnings, which is utilities, healthcare, and technology. Um, but it's the fact that you know these results have been beating expectations that have provided the markets with momentum. And as Richard mentioned earlier, for credit investors, the results have really also reflected very creditor-friendly actions taken by management teams to build up liquidity buffers, cutting expenditure, and, and that includes cuts to shareholder returns. So. You know, we think these fundamentals will continue to support credit spreads moving forward. Uh, locally, now the, the focus moves to the Australian reporting uh, season with 21 names in the S&P 200 due to report this week, including many of interest to credit investors such as Telstra, Downer, Transurban and Woodside. Um, and of course, we hear from two of the major banks with full year results from CBA and a, th a third quarter update from NAB. Thanks, Patrick. Looking forward to then your update next week on those Australian company results. So in summary, a real week for risk assets um, driven by that fiscal and monetary stimulus and leading to better corporate reporting, as Patrick's highlighted there, as well on the back of uh, stronger economic data. And one to watch for our investors is that in domestic employment situation in the US, um, whilst we see silver continue its run alongside inflation, which is an interesting one. Thank you for listening to us on QPod this morning and have a super week ahead.